connect with God. And, um, and it's our challenge, actually, for a month. We're to walk and to please God. And um, uh, in First Thessalonians chapter 4, and may we do that more and more each and every day. We're going to dismiss young people right now for time in the Word of God. They're going to meet in the upper room. And I guess the Morrises are on duty for that. We're keeping them busy today. All right. So young people can head on that way. Grab your Bible, and we'll turn in just a minute or two. A preacher said this. He said, an emergency is a situation of extreme need. Often, it's a matter of life and death, now or never. You remember the bombed remains of the Twin Towers in New York City on 9-11? Trapped within were at least a few injured and crippled survivors. And what happened was that rescuers all over poured in to the city and through the rubble, searching for the living, desperately looking Many wives, mothers, husbands, fathers wept for their loved ones. Their hearts were crushed in dismay. It was an emergency. It wasn't too uh, much before that, actually a year or so, uh, there was a horrific event, a terrible earthquake that shook Taiwan. Sirens wailed, and there was a desperate scramble to, to find the living among the dead. All over the island and even from around the world, many waited for news. They waited for word from relatives, from friends. They were hoping that all was well. It was an emergency, and people treated it as such. We admire people who rush to the aid of others in emergencies, don't we? When we hear of, of, a, of a tragic event, and then you see truckloads of people going with, with supplies and things, others just giving their time and giving themselves to to pour through and dig through rubble, rubble or do whatever and, and sacrificing many people sleeping very little and just giving of their time. We admire people who do that. Firefighters with smoke-stained, sweat-streaked faces are highlighted in the evening news. Caring citizens who donate food and clothing, services, they're, they're treated like heroes. And you say, why not? It was an emergency. In an emergency, you do what's needed. The preacher who said that said, there's a greater emergency in our world. That of rescuing hell-bound sinners from a lake of fire, from eternal judgment. There's a work of sending missionaries to fight the forces of evil, paganism, Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, atheism, and many others like that. It's an emergency that's needed to shine the light of the glorious gospel in lands that are entombed with false religion. It's an emergency because the lost are perishing. It's an emergency because the need is great. It's an emergency because the time is short. It's an emergency because the laborers are few, according to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Open doors may suddenly close. By the way, as has been happening around the world, we know that from our missionaries in, in, uh, um, in Ireland, the Peros, who had to come back because governments aren't as open and welcoming to missionaries as before. Work is becoming difficult and in some places even impossible. And as a result, multitudes die every day without hearing the gospel. And I tell you, it is an emergency. 
and it needs to be treated as such. So, as you consider what you're going to do for world missions in this coming year, I hope you will treat it as an emergency, because it truly is. There is no greater emergency than the rescuing of souls from hell. As we begin another year, we once again take time to emphasize the great work of the church, which is missions. It's not a business meeting. The business of the church is reaching people with the good news of the gospel. Uh, it's not giving money so people like the Morrises can go to Ecuador. It's about a Christian, every Christian, catching the vision of the great need right here and being caught with and, and uh, uh, alarmed with the great need here and the emergency in our area for people to hear the gospel, then it's not going to be hard for us and it's not going to be a stretch for us to be concerned about Ecuador or to be concerned about Hungary or to be concerned about the Ivory Coast or South Africa. It's not going to be hard for us to catch a vision that people in Canada need Jesus Christ if we understand that there's an emergency in Franklin, Tennessee that there's an emergency in Spring Hill, that there's an emergency in Thompson Station, that there's an emergency all around us of people who need to hear the good news of the gospel because that is the only hope. Now, as I was looking toward our start of missions emphasis this month, I was hoping to find some more verses, more verses, that would direct our attention to the great need. I looked through the Gospels, I looked through the book of Acts, and the best verse I could come up with was Acts 5.14, which says this, And believers were the more added to the Lord multitudes, both of men and women. You say, is that our, our text for today? Well, that verse speaks of the results of missions work, but it's not one of those verses that grabs your attention. Now, there is a challenging message in the text, but that's not for today. It dawned on me as I was preparing the subject and thinking about how great an emergency we face that 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 1 is all about missions. Because in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 1, we are told we're to walk and to please God. And I would submit to you today that walking and pleasing God involves being concerned about missions. It does. And so today, turn, if you would, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 1. We're not going to stay here, but I want you to see the verse that you are memorizing. And you might not need to look at it because you have it memorized. Of course, that is not always the case, so I want you to turn there this morning. And I'm going to have you say the verse with me once again to help work on memorizing a little bit more and to get us thinking once again about what this verse says. You see, if a believer is walking and pleasing God, he will actively, enthusiastically be involved in every aspect of missions, going, praying, giving. And I intend to prove that today from the Bible. But let's say our verse together. Join with me, the reference, and then the verse. First Thessalonians 4, 1. Furthermore, then, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us, how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. Let's pray. Father, I am so thankful that today you've given me the privilege, the wonderful opportunity to preach, and to preach on a subject that is dear to your heart, reaching the world with the good news of the gospel. 
And Father, I pray that you'd help me to do it effectively, powerfully, with your help, with your spirit, and say the things that need to be said, and to, to, to hold back from saying things that I shouldn't say. I pray that your spirit would work in our lives about the matter of missions today, that we would understand, indeed, there is an emergency, there is a great need, and be concerned about it like our Lord and Savior is. And I will thank you for how you help us in this very important task in understanding from this verse how important missions is. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Pastor, how am I going to prove that missions is what is being talked about in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4? Now, I will say this. Missions is not the only thing being talked about in 1 Thessalonians 4.1 when God says we're to walk and to please God. But without a doubt, missions has to be one of the things that we would include in the text and, and include in what God intends for us to walk and to please God in more and more in the coming year. And we can prove that a number of ways. First of all, we have an indication of missions work from the very people that this was written to. Does walking and pleasing God really include missions? Well, if it doesn't, we have no business today going to 1 Thessalonians 4.1 and saying, there's an emergency, let's be involved in the matter of missions. But we can prove from Scripture, and I submit to you again that walking and pleasing God does call for you to be a missionary. And we find that actually by looking at this church when they got saved and when they were taught how to walk and to please God. Because you'll note in verse 1 he says that as you have received of us how you ought to walk and please God, so you would abound more and more. These people already knew how to please God. Paul was not saying to the church, all right now, it's teaching time, it's lesson time. It's actually review time in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 1. He's saying you've already been taught these things, you already know what you're supposed to do. All right, so what had they been taught? Take a moment, if you would. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And the Bible talks about what happened with these believers. In verses 9 and 10, we have a description of what took place in the lives of this church. These people got saved, and they began to live differently. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering we had, in un we had unto you, and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Which, by the way, reminds us there's an emergency, isn't it? Because Jesus delivered this church and these people from the wrath that was to come. They were looking and waiting for Jesus Christ, but they were living, right? And they were serving God. They turned from their idols. They turned from their sin. They turned from their way. And they turned to God and they were gloriously saved. And these people's lives were changed. He said, well, wait a second, Pastor. Verses 9 and 10 doesn't say anything about missions. Well, I'm glad you noticed. Look, if you would, back at verse 6, though. He says this, And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. So that these people, when they got saved, when they heard the gospel, they began to live this kind of life that was pleasing to God. I still don't see any mention of missions. And I thank you for your observance this morning. You're paying attention, and that's a good thing. Look, if you would, at verse 7. So that you were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God word is spread abroad so that we need not to speak anything. 
Let me tell you something. These people obviously have been taught that missions is part of Christian living. Because these people, by change lives, and by the way, by the, by the message, the word of the Lord was spread abroad. What is he talking about? He's talking about the gospel. He's talking about their faith in Jesus Christ. He's talking about the good news of the gospel. These people, when they got saved, understood, my life's supposed to change. And their lives changed to the point where people started to question. And when people questioned, they said, it's faith in God. It's trust in Jesus Christ. It's the gospel. So, my friends, when we read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 1, we ought to walk and please God. Missions is definitely included in that list. Because the believers had been taught and the believers had practiced, according to chapter 1, the matter of spreading the gospel. So that... When Paul went to various places, this is an amazing thing. When Paul went to various places around to minister, you know what? He didn't even have to really say anything. He didn't even have to, it seems like, preach the gospel because they had already heard the gospel. Through the believers and through the church at Thessalonica. So walking and pleasing God is being involved in mission works, in, in missions. An indication of missions work is clearly found in the church. But I want you to also see, not from chapter 1, but I want you to see from chapter 4 that missions work is included in walking and pleasing God because I want to introduce you to the inventor and instructor in missions work. And you say, who is that? Look at verse 1 again of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as you have received of us, how you ought to walk and please God, so you would abound more and more. Now he says, well, we received, you received it of us. So Paul is the one you're talking about, right, Pastor? Uh, well, I think we could argue that Paul is an example of witnessing, can't we? In fact, Paul obviously instructed the people in those things. But who is the instructor in this passage? Where did they get their instruction from? Where did Paul and the others that impacted this church, where did they hear it from? They heard it from the lips of Jesus Christ. They heard it from, they heard it from, if you would, not in a, in a reverent way, the horse's mouth. They heard it from the one who had the heartbeat and concern for missions himself because we are, they were exhorting you by the Lord Jesus. It was what Jesus had said. It was what Jesus had taught. And as you read this verse carefully, you find that the source for all the teaching they did about walking and pleasing God came from Jesus Christ. Now, who directed the teachers in instructing believers about Christian living? It was Jesus. And Jesus is the beginning of missions work. Let's start with the fact that Jesus was the sent one. Do you know that John three times said that in his writing? John chapter 5, verse 23, that all men should honor the Son even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son honoreth not the Father which hath sent him. Those are words of Jesus Christ that John quotes in, in John chapter 5. In John chapter 10, Jesus continued to talk about this subject. In John 10, 36, he said, Say ye of him whom the Father hath sanctified and sent into the world, thou blasphemest, because I said I am the Son of God. So Jesus twice in, John, in the book of John is recorded that quite twice Jesus said, The Father has sent me. And a missionary is someone who's a sent one. 
So you don't think that what part of Jesus' teaching to this church about walking and pleasing God had to do with the matter of missions? Seeing missions as an emergency, as a, as a great need? I mean, look, Christ came for that reason. As a sent one, as a missionary, an ambassador of God, God himself, to pay for the sins of the world so that men could be saved. In 1 John chapter 4 and verse 14, we've preached on this before. It's been a long while. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Jesus, Jesus is the great missionary, the sent one. And if you think for a moment that part of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 does not include in walking and pleasing God missions, you are sadly mistaken. Because we have the inventor and instructor in missions work as the one who tells these people what it means to walk and to please God. Um, we've mentioned this, this recently, but why did the, na the name, uh, why did Jesus get the name Jesus? According to Matthew 121, the name was given because he would save his people from their sins. That was his mission. That was his purpose. That was his goal. And he expressed that many times. But the name himself indicates that he was a sent one. He was sent from the Father. Jehovah, that saves. That's what the name means. And that's what he came to do, the sent one. If you don't think the sent one is going to send people, then you, you are mistaken as you come to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Look, walking and pleasing God involves missions. And so we ought to see it as important as Jesus saw it. But you know, Jesus isn't just the inventor and the instructor in the matter of missions, but he's the inspiration for missions. What do I mean by that? Well, we're trying to answer this question. What would Jesus teach Paul and the other apostles to help the people know what walking and pleasing God is like? And to do this, we're contemplating the life of Jesus Christ. What was Jesus passionate about? You can see that by his life. So turn, if you would, back to the book of Matthew. And quite frankly, we can look at any one of the Gospels, but we're going to try to stay in the book of Matthew as much as we can. And I want you to see the inspiration and instruction that we find by the life of Jesus Christ for this matter of missions. You know, when someone's passionate about something, it consumes their thinking. What consumed the thinking of Jesus Christ? Think about his life. Most of you have read through the Gospels. Most of you know the life of Jesus Christ. Most of you could maybe quote a number of the verses we might even look up because you're well familiar with the life of Jesus Christ. What was his passion? Why did he come? What would he be about? He came to seek and to save that which was lost. That's a quote from, from him. And those are his words. And we see then that he is the inspiration, if you would, for missions. And he also was the instructor in that matter. We mentioned not too long ago a mother who lost her daughter to a drunk driver. And that lady, as a result, years ago began MAD, M-A-D-D, -D, Mothers Against Drunk Driving. 
it became a passion. Why did it become a passion? Because she lost her daughter, and she didn't want to see this any family ever suffer again. And those who did, she wanted to have something to provide for them. But she wanted to deal with the scourge of drunk driving. So this lady was passionate about it, and she gave her life to it. Jesus Christ gave his life to the salvation of the world, to missions. To missions. As one who was sent, and as one who sent others. So you look at Jesus Christ, it reveals that missions is vital. Matthew chapter 18. I had you turn to Matthew. Matthew chapter 18. And we're going to jump around a little bit. But in Matthew chapter 18, what is God's will? We could walk through the pages of the New Testament and find a lot of verses which uh, instruct us as to the focus of God and God's will. But Jesus was teaching in Matthew 18, and he shares a wonderful truth. The focus of God, the Father, and thus the Son, is the salvation of the world. Missions. You say, well, really, can we find that there? Yes. In Matthew 18 and verse 11, we read these words. For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. How think ye? If a man have a hundred sheep and one of them be gone astray, doth he not leave the ninety and nine and go into the mountains and seek that which is gone astray? And if, if so be that he find it, verily I say unto you, he rejoiceth more of that sheep than of the ninety and nine which went not astray. Even so it is not the will of your Father which is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. So is it any wonder then that the Son of Man was come to save that which was lost? Because he didn't, the Father doesn't want anyone to perish, nor does Jesus Christ. So what do you think Jesus taught the apostles to teach the churches? about walking and pleasing God. It had to be. This is the heart of the Father. He wants all men to come to himself. It's not the will of God. Do you know it is not the will of God that one person spends one moment in hell? It wasn't his plan. It's not his desire. It's not his will. He does not sentence some to hell and some to heaven. He gives men the choice and has given them a will to make a decision about who, whether they will accept or reject Jesus, the Christ. He makes it very simple in Scripture, and he makes it very clear that the will of the Father is that all men might be saved. Missions work. No respectable teacher of the Jews in Jesus Christ's day would go to eat in a sinner's home. They wouldn't. Religious leaders had nothing to do with sinners, with publicans. Those were two groups of people that they'd have nothing to do but we read about in the, in the Bible, in the New Testament, about Jesus Christ in Luke chapter 19 going to spend and, and to have dinner at Zacchaeus' house. And I love it. You know, I'm going to start following my, my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm going to start just going up to people and saying, I'm going to your house today for lunch. <laughs> Can you imagine what that must have been like for Jesus to come? Zacchaeus had climbed up in a tree, you know, the short guy. And he wanted to see Jesus. And Jesus comes to the tree and says, Zacchaeus, come on down. I'm going to your house today for lunch. I think we need to just start doing that on Sundays. Uh, Brother Farrington, we're going to your house for lunch. Uh, so Jesus did that. But there was a reason Jesus went to have lunch with a, a sinner, a publican, that's, and that the, the Jewish leaders would have, teachers would have, Friends, 
Jesus Christ is the inspiration himself by his own activity. You look at Jesus Christ and it reveals that missions was vital to him. And by the way, all men Jesus died for and seeking to win them no matter what their social standing. The poor should be just as welcomed here at Spring Meadow Baptist Church as the rich. Because all men need Jesus Christ. You walk through the Gospels and you find Jesus stating his mission. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Missions work. In John 10, the thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. And so you look at Jesus and it reveals that missions is vital. Can I also say this? Loving Jesus will result in missions work. Go back to Matthew chapter 4 with me and take a look there where we see Jesus Christ again. Jesus was the teacher in 1 Thessalonians, according to Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 1. He's the one who taught them to teach the people how to walk and to please God. So what was part of that? It had to be missions work because Jesus, by his entire life, lived missions. But he said this in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 19. He said, he saith unto them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. You remember when Jesus comes, he's walking by the Sea of Galilee. There's two brethren, Simon called Peter, Andrew his brother, casting it into the sea. They were fishermen. And Jesus said, look, you follow me. And if you'll follow me, I will make you fishers of men. And I tell you, Jesus is doing the same today. People who follow him are concerned about being fishers of men. They're concerned about missions. Jesus not only is an example by, and if we look at his life, but loving Jesus, he said, following him will result in missions work. Are you involved in that? Hey, by the way, they followed and what did they become? In Acts chapter 3, we see Peter preaching that 3,000 souls come to faith in Jesus Christ. Just a very short time later, 5,000 people get saved when Peter and John share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we could go through the book of Acts and we could see a people who were willing to die to share with people the good news, missions work. Listen to their words when they were told to stop being missionaries. In Acts 4, here's what they said. But that it spread no further among the people, let us straightly threaten them that they speak henceforth to no man in his name. That's, by the way, when 5,000 people came to faith in Christ. And they called them and commanded them not to speak nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. These men, as they learned from the life of Jesus Christ, and then as they followed Jesus Christ, became missionaries. Do you see that? My friends, when it's, we talk about walking and pleasing God, there would be a lot of things on this list, and we can include a lot of things. We mentioned prayer. We mentioned Bible reading. There would be a lot of things that Christians should do in walking and pleasing God, but missions is one of them. And missions is an important one. In fact, if we want to talk about the life of Jesus Christ, this life is more about missions than, than anything else. He came as the great missionary. Then he said, follow me, and you'll become fishers of men. 
And that still is true today. People who follow Jesus Christ become fishers of men. Listening to Jesus Christ will show you missions is the great need. Looking at Jesus Christ will, will tell you uh, um, and reveals that missions is vital. Loving Christ will reveal that missions work is important and, and, and will be part of your life. Listening to Jesus Christ will show you missions is the great need. Matthew chapter 4, Matthew chapter 4 and verse 23. Just after he talked about this matter, Jesus went about all Galilee teaching in their synagogues. And what did he do? What was the life of Jesus Christ? What, what did he teach? Listen to his conversations with people. His conversations were, with people were about preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Do you see that in verse 23? So in this passage where he said, follow me, you become fishers of men. Well, why would they become fishers of men? Let me tell you why. Because everywhere Jesus went, he was a fisher of men. Because when Jesus went to a certain place, he preached the gospel of the kingdom. And you can find that consistently in other places. Matthew chapter 9. In Matthew chapter 9 and verse 35, we see, And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. I think it's interesting that a lot of churches, at least the charismatic churches, will emphasize the healing ministry of Jesus Christ. But when you look at it in the New Testament and you look at Jesus Christ, it was the preaching ministry of Jesus Christ that was far more important than the healing ministry. The healing ministry proved he was the Christ. The preaching ministry proved his heart was for the lost to come to faith in him. And my friends, Jesus, his life, his teaching, the, the, if we listen to Jesus Christ and what he taught and what he said to the people, we're going to be involved in the matter of missions. In, uh, in John's book, we find him going through Samaria. And it says this in John chapter 4, he must needs go through Samaria. Have you ever thought about that statement? Why does the Bible in John 4 say that Jesus must needs go through Samaria? He didn't have to go through Samaria. You say, well, yes, he had to. No, he didn't have to as far as what was humanly necessary. In fact, according to what we understand in fact, even what the woman at the well said to Jesus Christ, that Jews would often have no dealings with the Samaritans at all. So much so that if they had a journey that would take them through the land of the Samaritans and the place where the Samaritans were, they would take a roundabout journey. They would go and they would spend hours extra time in, in travel to avoid having anything to do with Samaritans. In fact, she said, Jews don't even speak to Samaritans. And that was true. Because even if they went through Samaria, they wouldn't have anything to do with the Samaritan at all. But Jesus must needs go through Samaria, and there was a reason why. Because Jesus was all about missions work. And there was a woman there who had had five husbands, and the man she was with was, wasn't even her husband. So she had six men to her right. And he knew Jesus Christ, and she found him. The one who gave her living water that she never thirsted again. Isn't that a wonderful story? And look, it just shares with us the heart of Jesus Christ. And it wasn't just that woman, because there were multitudes of Samaritans who came out after the woman's testimony, and they heard, and they received Jesus Christ as well. He must needs go through Samaria. And let me tell you why. Because Jesus was a missionary. Because Jesus was concerned about mission. When the rich, uh, not rich, when the ruler, Nicodemus, comes to Jesus by night in John chapter 3, a chapter earlier. He says, Rabbi, 
We know you're come from God. No one can do these things except God be with them. You know, Jesus never acknowledged what Nicodemus said. Do you know what Jesus told him? Come on, you know the words. He said to Nicodemus, <clears throat> if you're ever going to enter into the kingdom of heaven, ye must be born again. So when Jesus talked with an influential leader of the Jews, Nicodemus, a man who, by the way, was afraid to associate with Jesus told him first point point, you need to be saved. Does that point take some gall, doesn't it? Because the heart of Jesus Christ was that nature. He would go through Samaria, a place that no Jew would go through. He would talk to the Samaritans because Samaritans needed Jesus Christ. He would meet with the ruler of the Jews, and rather than argue with him about whether he was of God or not, he just said, if you're going to see the kingdom of heaven, you've got to be born again. Because his heart was all about missions. My friends, you listen to Jesus Christ in his conversations with people, you find he was all about people coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Those were his conversations were all about. And that was his life about. You listen to his, you look at his conduct with the disciples. Matthew chapter 9, are you there? In Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, we read about what Jesus did. But in verse 36, we read, when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. And these are the verses that most every time there's a missions conference or a missions week or a missions month, it's got to be mentioned, these verses. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. And you say, well, okay, so Jesus told us to pray about that. That's good, I'm praying about it. But Jesus didn't just tell him to pray about it. In the very next verse he said, And he called the, uh, unto him his twelve disciples. He gave them power, and he sent them out. And you read in verse 5, These twelve Jesus sent forth and commanded them. And their message was, and their preaching was, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus was all about mission work. His, his, his conversations with people show that. His conduct with his disciples, he sent them out. He sent 12 out here. In, um, in another place, he sent 70 out, two by two, with this work and with this job of sharing the good news of the kingdom. Listen to his commission to his followers. Matthew chapter 28. You knew we'd have to get here as well, didn't you? Because in Matthew 28, we see Jesus Christ just after he's risen from the dead. He's meeting with his disciples. And by the way, the Bible tells us that Jesus taught them all sorts of things. Jesus spent time instructing his, his follower. But you know what's interesting to me? That we don't have any instruction about what Jesus taught other than the Great Commission after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Nothing. Jesus, when he met with the men on the road to Emmaus, talked to them about how, where he was seen in the Gospels. And, and I'm sorry, in the Old Testament. He, he told them all things about himself in the Old Testament. Jesus did a lot of the teaching. We, we do know the one instruction he gave to Peter. Feed my you love me. But when we look at the actual teaching of Jesus Christ after the resurrection, the only teaching we have is this, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. 
And right before Jesus leaves them in Acts chapter 1, what are Jesus' final words? But you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Say, 40 days, didn't Jesus teach on other things? Certainly. But all that the writers recorded for us and all that God saw fit to give us by inspiration about the teaching of Jesus after the resurrection was to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So don't you think that walking and pleasing God in 1 Thessalonians 4.1, the great focus of that message would have been missions. I would submit to you absolutely, positively, without a doubt that probably the greatest focus of the teaching of Paul and all the others that's talked about in 1 Thessalonians 4, at least they started with missions. People being concerned about others because that was the life of Jesus Christ. So we listen to the commission that he gave to his followers as he, as he uh, called upon them to be witnesses. His closing words in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 all tell us the same thing. They ask him, are you going to restore the kingdom in Israel? And Jesus said, you know what? What's important for you is that right now you receive power. You wait until you receive the power from the Holy Spirit and then be a witness unto me. That's what you need to focus on. That's what you need to live up for. And that's what you need to do. And you know, I even put it this way, leaning on Jesus Christ is the answer to successful missions work. Because Christ said, I'll give you power. And when you look in the book of Acts, you see a people who turned to God and they said in prayer in Acts chapter 4, God, we need boldness. And God gave it to them. Do you know why? Because the, the heart of Jesus Christ is missions. That's why he came. That's what he talked about. That's how he lived. That's why he died and was buried and rose again, because there is no missions work unless he accomplishes all that's written of him in the Bible, that he might be the savior of the world. Look, look, when we talk about 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 1, walking and pleasing God, quite frankly, um, we could just take the entire New Testament and just start teaching all sorts of things that God wants and God do not be mistaken that if missions is not important to you, then you are not walking and pleasing God more and more, as that verse says. Because those who are pleasing God and those who are walking and pleasing God have to be concerned about missions. Helping people get places where they can hear the word of God other families but going ourselves and being a witness ourselves because Jesus didn't just send people Jesus was the sent one himself so as we um, enter another mission month there really is a, a great challenge from the life of Jesus Christ um but referenced in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 1. When the apostles 
Paul and, and those who had influenced the church at Thessalonica taught them to walk and to please God. They had received that information from Jesus Christ. And if we understand Jesus Christ at all, if you haven't seen him in Matthew today, you just don't grasp this. Jesus is all about missions. So here's the invitation. Here's the conclusion. After pondering the fact Jesus was the sent one, his life focused on spreading the gospel. He sent his disciples. He commissioned them after his resurrection. And he promised to give them help to do that very important task. What do you think would make up a large teaching, part of the teaching of Jesus that he did with Paul and others so that they might help the church? Look, have you not been convinced that a big part of walking and pleasing God is being concerned about souls. It's world missions. So here's the question, then. Will you do something about it? Here's what, here's what we come down to in 1 Thessalonians 4. Abound more and more. Um, think about that. What... What does abounding more and more in this matter of missions, since that was the heart of Christ, and he certainly taught the disciples, and the disciples certainly taught the church at Thessalonica this fact. So if that's true, then what will missions, what is more and more for missions, what will it mean to you? For, for everyone here, it, it could be very different things. It might be for some of you to learn for the first time how to lead someone to Jesus Christ. To learn verses that would help someone come to understand their, their, that they're a sinner, that Jesus, and that they're hopeless because of their sin and, and condemned to a crisis eternity and learning verses about how God loved them so much he sent his only begotten son into the world. And learning verses so that you can share with others this message, because walking and pleasing God includes that. And abounding more and more means you got to get going somehow, somewhere. But for a great majority, um, you already know the verses. You could lead someone to Jesus Christ. In fact, if someone came forward today, I, there's a great majority in this room that, that could take that a person in the side room and show them clearly the Bible, how they can be saved. And if you can't, you need to learn that. But a great majority of you can do that. So, you know... Walking and pleasing God more and more isn't going to mean just learning verses about how to lead someone to Christ for you then. You, you know what it might mean? It might mean that you're going you're gonna to make it a practice to start carrying tracks with you. That's what it might mean. It might mean that you start prayerfully considering whether you should go to the mission field yourself. Although you have to have my permission because we're not going to let anyone else leave our church. you're supposed to be a missionary in Ecuador, you better be in Ecuador. If it means being a, a, a missionary in Canada, you better be in Canada. If it means being a missionary in Mexico, you better be there. Because this is the heartbeat of Jesus Christ. For some of you, it might be considering missions. It might be carrying tracks. For some of you, it might be not using tracks as an excuse for your mission work. 
say, well, what do you mean by that? I'll tell you what it's, it, it's easy to do, and I've done, sometimes I use a track for a diffused microphone to someone. Say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, a track is a good thing if people don't have time. But what people need to do is they need to hear the gospel. And giving them a track might aid, but quite frankly, you really need to be thinking about sharing the gospel with someone. There have been times where I have had opportunities in conversations to share more with people, but I'll say, well, you're pressed for time. Let me give you a track. When I don't even know if they're pressed for time. I'm embarrassed to say that, but I've done that. Maybe you have too. And more and more, for some of you, it might be not just that you're going to carry tracks, but that you're not going to use tracks as an excuse to comfort your heart about the fact you're concerned about missions. But you're going to be looking for opportunities to actually talk with people about your faith and how they can come to faith in Jesus Christ. You see, more and more, everyone in this room will be different but the same. and pleasing God and walking and pleasing God includes mission some of you this year will be the first year you give to missions and you should not because our church does it but because people in Ecuador don't need Jesus Christ and it takes money to help the world People in hunger need Jesus Christ, and it takes money for people to pray there and tell people about Jesus Christ. Some of you, some of you have never given to missions. Another reason why I don't have money to give. Don't you think the one who's concerned about missions can take care of that? So what does more and more mean to you in the matter of missions? you think about that? And will you let the command of 1 Thessalonians 4 1 be something that you abound more and more in? Walking and pleasing God. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. I know as I looked at the life of Christ and as I thought this through, in fact, I just know, and I knew for myself, that more and more is going to mean a, a change in the way I think and the way I act in this coming year in the matter of missions um, that I, I can sharpen my attention on things. And I think that if there are Christians that are honest in this room, you feel the same. How many would say, you know, Pastor, God, God has convicted me today and there's some things that I know more and more are going to involve in, in missions and I'm asking you to pray for me and pray with me that I would do more and more in this matter because God spoke to me about that today. How many would just say that? Would you, would you pray for me on this matter? Wonderful. Great. Good. Excellent. If you're already doing it, then the, the prayer should be, Lord God, show me what more and more means, abounding more and more in this matter of missions. Um, I don't know what your need is. I don't know what you need to do, but I do know this, that God expects you to God's grace.
Father, I pray that you'd help us to live in light of your truth and your word. I thank you for the scriptures. I thank you for what uh, we have seen today from the life of Jesus Christ. And obviously, then, if this was the life of Christ, it was the teaching of Christ. And we know it was the teaching of Christ to be concerned about and win souls. Help me to be involved in that task more and more this year. And I pray the same for your people. And for those who raised a hand, I'm glad you weren't. Lord God, um, help them to see clearly through your spirit. Teach them what they need to do to make more and more in your kingdom a focal point for them this year. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If you can, just stand to your feet right now. We're going to have a, a hymn of meditation. And... Uh,